Well, good evening, everyone. I trust that you are well, and I'd like to welcome you to our Thursday evening Bible study brought to you from the Lifeboat Fellowship. And if you don't normally tune into our broadcast, you are especially welcome. We're going to turn tonight in the Word of God to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and the chapter 26. Matthew 26, and we're going to begin our reading at the verse 57. Matthew 26. And the verse 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off onto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council. They sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but none, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. And they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. And then they spit in his face and they buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? We'll just end our reading there. You know, folks, tomorrow is Good Friday. It is the day when we remember that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It was on that cross on Calvary that Jesus demonstrated his love of, uh, of God toward all humanity. Romans 5 and 8 says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, even though our sins may be many, we can thank the Lord that his mercy is so much more. We have just read a little of what happened to the Lord here the night before the crucifixion. Earlier on that evening, the Lord had been in the upper room with his disciples observing the Passover meal. And after they had sung a hymn, they left Jerusalem. They walked across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. The Lord knew what was coming in the next few hours. And there in the garden, he agonized in prayer just before the traitor Judas led the temple guards to where they could find him, and he was arrested. So I want us to look this evening at what happened to the Lord the night before he died. First of all, we see here the Saviour's travel to the palace. The Lord has now been arrested, and he's been brought to the palace of the high priest. He is to appear before the Sanhedrin, now, the Sanhedrin had a membership of 71 people. That included the scribes and the Pharisees and was presided over by the high priest Caiaphas. 
The Sanhedrin was a bit like our UK Supreme Court. The scribes were the principal teachers. The Pharisees were the principal rulers. They made themselves better enemies of Jesus, who is the great teacher and the great ruler of us all. They were deeply jealous of Jesus because Jesus could tie them in knots with his questions and his answers. And, you know, maybe some of the Sanhedrin present that evening were not as bad as the others. But by being quiet and not speaking up for the innocent, they were just as guilty. German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed because he spoke out against the evils of Nazism in the 40s. He said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. And you know, folks, we are living in an age when as Christians, we must be prepared to step up and speak out. A soldier will spend most of his career training for the possibility of a war. And when war is declared, they're expected to fight and to put all that training into practice. Well, Christian war has been declared on the word of God and on all that is righteous. The time has certainly come when we must put our teaching and our training into practice. Paul says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And you know, folks, the last time I looked at God's word, sodomy was still an abomination and abortion was still murder. Certain politicians today in the Northern Ireland Assembly, they keep calling baby murder health care. But can you believe that? Folks, killing children is not health care. Killing children is the opposite of health care. I don't know about you, but maybe they think that if they keep calling it health care for long enough, people will begin to believe them. Even Hitler outlawed abortion on healthy babies. What the proverb says is very, very true. When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And we are in a state of mourning today. But on the other hand, we do have a duty to pray that our politicians would repent of their wickedness and would put their trust in Jesus Christ before it is too late. The Sanhedrin has convened this court case at night. It's in an attempt to conceal their sin. You see, evil always comes out and does its worst at night. They'd been waiting for this moment. They had sat up waiting for Judas to deliver his prey. And no doubt as soon as Jesus had been arrested, the soldiers had hurried to deliver the Lord like a trophy of victory and a victim to the altar. You can imagine Jesus being tied up and dragged off and unable to defend himself here. The journey to the palace would have brought them back across the Kidron Valley and, and through the Sheep Gate of the city. It was called the Sheep Gate because the sheep selected for sacrifice were often brought that way to the temple. Therefore, unbeknownst to the soldiers, Christ has now brought that same way because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Christ was brought first to the high priest. Just as Leviticus 17 and verse 5 instructed the people to bring their sacrifices from the fields to the priest. As the Lord is brought to the palace here, we are told in verse 58 that Peter followed him afar off. And then he sat down with the high priest's servants. In reality, he had forsook Jesus just like all the other disciples. 
There may have been little sparks of love here. After all, he was following him, albeit afar off. But he feared here for his own safety. At this point, it would be good to remember all our doctors and our nurses at the moment in the NHS who cannot treat their patients at a distance and out of love for the sick and the dying are willing to put themselves in great danger. But Peter here, he kept himself at a distance to keep himself from great danger. There are a lot of people today that are doing what Peter did here and they follow Jesus afar off. Oh, they want to go to heaven and they do go to a place of worship once a week on a Sunday morning and they sing and they pray and they are willing to be a disciple afar off. But like Peter, they don't want to be known as a disciple. And you know, I meet them all the time on the doors. They're very quick to say what church they belong to. But when you ask them, do they belong to the Lord? It makes them feel very uncomfortable. Such people need to remember what Jesus said. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. If you claim to be saved, but are following afar off, then you're actually withdrawing from the Lord's presence. And that, friend, is a dangerous place to be in. There is a danger in looking back at your former life. Remember Lot's way? You see, Peter followed Jesus afar off, but had no problem sitting with the high priest's servants. This is one of the first recorded cases of social distancing. And there are people today who have grown up in evangelical families and evangelical fellowships who are observing social distancing from God right now. But they're very happy to sit with the ungodly crowd, maybe in a nightclub or some other hellhole. Peter feared for his safety. But friend, if you fear for your safety or even your reputation in this world, you'll end up doing nothing for the Lord and you'll regret it forever. Peter should have stepped up to the mark and supported the Lord. He could have been a key witness in the Lord's defense, but he forsook him. He forsook him for the comforts of a warm fire and the companionship of the Lord's enemies. Peter should have known better. After all, Jesus had warned him that he would deny him. He should have gone home with the others where at least he would have been safe. Oh, but no. You see, as usual, Peter thought he knew better. And he thrust himself into the middle of temptation. And as a result, he denied the Lord, even cursing and swearing. And that is what happens, you see, when you prefer the company of sinners over associating with the Lord. Friend, don't ever put yourself into the place of temptation. Standing even outside a nightclub on a Saturday night giving out tracks, it sounds like a great thing to do. But friend, listen to this. If it means you're surrounding yourself with the ungodly, with the drink and the drugs and the cursing and the swearing and the half-naked young ladies so that you end up falling into temptation. Friend, that is the worst possible place to be and you'd be far safer at home. It happened to Peter and it can happen to you. So you need to be careful. We also see here the Saviour's trial at the palace. These hypocrites had already made up their minds to condemn Jesus but to take the bad look of it, they, they arranged to go through the motions of a mock trial and they attempt to produce some sort of evidence against him. The psalmist said, 
in mine adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together against me. And this is what happens here. They accuse Jesus of false doctrine and blasphemy. They looked to put together a case of false evidence, but they couldn't do it, even though many false witnesses came forward. Proverbs says, an ungodly man diggeth up evil. And perhaps you have been a victim of ungodly people digging up evil and lies against you. Certainly social media is rife with that sort of thing these days, and it's not a nice place to be. Jesus was also a victim here of lies. And then finally, Two false witnesses came forward and accused him of saying he would destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. They were referring, of course, to Jesus's words in John 2 and 19 when he said, I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You see, they loved their temple. Without the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees had nothing, were nothing and would be nothing. It had become an idol to them. And Jesus was threatening their power and their importance. But Jesus' words had been misunderstood and taken out of context because he didn't speak about the temple made with hands. He spoke about the temple of his own body made without hands and of his dying on the cross and, and in three days would rise again from the graves. Verse 62, the high priest really throws the dummy out of the pram here. He flies off the handle. You see, he fears that they might let Jesus off the hook here. Let him slip through their grubby little fingers. And he shouts, why won't you do something? Or why won't you say something? But Jesus just remained silent. Not that he was embarrassed or ashamed. Not that he had nothing to say because the Lord had loads to say. Not that he didn't know how to say it or what he should say. But he remained silent so that a 700-year-old prophecy might be fulfilled. Isaiah 53 and 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Earlier on they tried to arrest him. But John 7 and 30 says, Then they sought to take him. But no man laid hands on him. Because his hour was not yet come. Now he was silent because his hour had come. Many times he had answered the Pharisees and, and shut them up. But now he was silent because his hour had come. Now he would not deny the charge because he was willing to submit to the sentence. Here were the creatures of the dirt condemning the creator of the universe. But you know, one day soon the roles will be reversed. One day soon it will be the creature that will stand before the great creator. It will be a whole different ball game at the great courtroom in the sky when Jesus assumes the position of judge at the great white throne. It will be the Sanhedrin and all who die without Christ from all the ages who will be speechless then. And when their names do not appear in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. When the Lord was made sin for us, he held his peace and he left his precious blood to do the speaking. Hebrews 12 and 24 says, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling, speaketh better things. We can't accuse Jesus. So the high priest tries to make him accuse himself. And the high priest, he says, I adjure thee by the living God. 
that thou tell us whether to be the Christ, the Son of God. This now put Jesus under oath and compelled him to answer, and, and boy did he give it to them both borrowed. I am the Son of God. I will rise again. I will ascend into heaven. I will return to rule, to reign, and to judge. When he spoke to the disciples of his second coming, it was always to encourage them and to gladden their hearts. And now as he speaks to his enemies of his second coming, it brings fear to their souls. There is nothing more comforting to the ears of the righteous or even more terrifying to the ears of the wicked than to be reminded of Christ's promise. I will come again. And when he does, friend, he will separate the sheep from the goats and he will separate the wheat from the weeds. Seldom before had he prophesied to be the Christ or professed to be the Christ, the Son of God, even though his doctrine had proved it, even though his miracles had demonstrated it, and even though his fulfilling of prophecy had verified it time and time again. But now the time had come to confess it. Brothers and sisters, let our Lord's bravery encourage us all tonight. Let us be determined to confess Jesus Christ before men, whatever the consequences might be. The apostles and the martyrs down through the centuries, they all confessed Christ. And the worst thing to happen to them was that they were immediately sent into the presence of God in glory. Here was Jesus, exhausted, under arrest, probably battered and beaten whilst under intense interrogation. And here he is telling the most respected religious leaders in the world that he would rule and reign over them. This must have sounded ridiculous to them, but it was true. Every word of it was true. And you know, dear sinner, I would like to remind you today that everything that Jesus Christ says in his word is 100% true. When he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, it is true. When he says, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved, it is true. When he says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, it is true. When he says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, it is true. And when he says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Friend, you better believe it. You better believe it. Now that may sound ridiculous. In a society that puts Christianity on a par with every other false demonic religion in the world today. It may even seem intolerant or considered today as hate speech. But Jesus said it first. And I for one will not follow him afar off. He is my saviour. He died for me. He forgave me and he's given me more second chances than I care to remember. And I love him and I will follow him. In verse 65, the high priest accuses Jesus of blasphemy. But he was actually the one who blasphemed here. You see, he tore his clothes and that was actually forbidden in the law. Leviticus 21 and 10 says, He that is the high priest among his brethren and that is consecrated to put on the garments shall not rend his clothes. He broke the law. 
he did rend his clothes. So this action should have disqualified him from his office. And he had actually disqualified himself before Jesus, the true high priest. Here Jesus was on his way to the cross to abolish the old Jewish sacrificial system forever. Caiaphas didn't even realise the significance here of his actions. By tearing his own clothes, he was bringing the curtain down once and for all in the old sacrificial system of offering animals and abolishing the role of the human priest forever. When Jesus would die and rise again, he would serve forever as the perfect, eternal high priest. Listen, folks. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Men no longer have access to God through other men. The only access to God the Father is through God the Son, our Saviour and great High Priest, Jesus Christ. Paul said there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He alone can make intercession for us to the Father. Hebrews says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And in the Romans, book of Romans, Paul said, it is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Friend, with love in my heart tonight, I want to tell you, don't be running to any human priest to confess your sins. Seek forgiveness for your sins from God alone. Priests can do nothing for you. Not even the Pope has a message for you tonight. He is the greatest deceiver of them all. That old guy just makes it up as he goes along. Jesus Christ, friend, is all you need. I heard a priest on YouTube the other day telling people that because at the moment they can't get to confession, they should do some penance for their sins at home. And he suggested that they might eat some bread and water or actually take a cold shower. So Rome's answer to sin during COVID-19 is to take a cold shower. I mean, you've got to be absolutely crazy to entrust your eternal soul into the hands of these people. I mean, what is that all about? I don't know what they were taught in seminary, but it certainly wasn't the Bible. They really haven't got a clue. I mean, seriously, think about that for a moment. I mean, it's okay to make fun of these idiots, but your soul's security is of the utmost importance tonight. What was it Jesus said? He said, he said For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Friend, You've got to get this right here. Your soul is priceless. Listen, it is not cold water that will wash your sins away. It is not even the blood of bulls and goats that will take your sin away. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. Do not be deceived, friend, by the lies of religious men. Turn away from sin and darkness. Turn to the light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world and his truth will set you free. This was not a fair trial here. I mean, where was the opportunity for Jesus to call for witnesses in his defense? He could have called the woman at the well. He could have called the woman caught in adultery. 
He could have called the Gadarene demoniac. He could have called Jairus, Lazarus, Bartimaeus, even Zacchaeus. He could have called me. And I would have told that Sanhedrin and testified of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Verse 66, Caiaphas appeals here to the Sanhedrin. He had already declared Jesus as a blasphemer and now he pretends to seek the guidance and the judgment of all the others. This kangaroo court here was a joke. He should have collected the votes first and then give his opinion at the end, but instead he gave his opinion first and in doing so told everyone else what their opinion should be. As far as they were concerned, Christ has confessed his guilt. The Sanhedrin have declared him guilty. And the sentence is death. And then thirdly and finally, we see the Saviour's treatment in the palace. You know, this was a brutal scene. These were religious men violently assaulting the Son of God probably causing actual bodily harm. This was a free-for-all. They were simply out of control. It was as if hell had broken loose here. If it had not been prophesied that Jesus would die on a cross, they probably would have stoned him to death there and then, just as they did with Stephen. They had no power, of course, to put him to death. So they spat on him, they punched him, they kicked him, they hit him and slapped him. As if his death wasn't enough, they had to torture him as well. Mark tells us they covered his face. It was like a scene from the Troubles where when terrorists would have left their victims tied up and hooded, battered, beaten and shot at the side of some border road. These Jews were just as wicked. It was as Paul described in Galatians. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Got to remember here as well that these monsters were not Roman soldiers. These were his own people. The same people he came to seek and to save. This was their long-awaited Messiah. I don't need to tell you, of course, that very often it is your own people who will treat you the worst. And this is what happens to Jesus. That beautiful face which the angels had reverenced in glory was now the target of filthy abuse by violent and evil men. Jesus could have clicked his fingers and they would have all dropped dead. He could have called on 12 legions of angels that were on standby in heaven with drawn swords ready to swoop down on earth at the speed of a thousand meteorites. But friend, that rescue call from the Saviour never came because Jesus knew this suffering was necessary in order to save you and to save me. This scene was a perfect illustration as to why Jesus had to come to earth in the first place. Men had become utterly depraved and wicked and had no way of saving themselves. And these were the religious in society. These men should have known better. On display that night in the palace, was the wickedness of man. But also on full display that night was the absolute love of God because Jesus endured it all. It's so sad that so many people still reject the Saviour today. 
And maybe you're listening and you're one of those people. Well, friend, I would plead with you to reject him no longer. For really, how much longer do any one of us have? Tomorrow is promised to nobody. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would take the Lord's body down from the cross. They were also part of the Sanhedrin, but because they were sympathetic to Jesus, it looks like that they were never invited or never summoned here to the trial. So if Nicodemus and Joseph were able to put all the evidence together and see that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, then the other 69 members of the Sanhedrin could have done it as well, but they didn't want to. How true Christ's words are in Matthew's Gospel. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Friend, make sure that you're one of the few on their way to heaven, and not with the vast crowd that's on their way to hell. You know, friends, this weekend is going to be very strange. Because no doubt we, we all have our set Easter weekend routines, which we cannot do this year. Personally, I will miss catching up with many dear friends at the Faith Mission Convention in Bangor. But listen, the churches may be empty this Easter, but brothers and sisters, do not fear. Because the tomb is empty as well. A few hours later, after appearing before Pilate, Jesus was crucified. He suffered for six hours on that middle tree before he cried, It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. But unlike every other dead founder of every other false religion in the cult and cult in the world today, Christ is risen. And our God reigns. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word tonight. We pray if any Christians have been listening, that you would encourage them. Any backsliders listening, that you'll bring them back to yourself. And if there's any listening, Lord, that's still outside of Christ without a Savior, Lord, we pray that you'll convict them of their sin and bring them to your Son for salvation. We pray that you'll bless every listener Bless every home. Keep us safe at this time. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening, folks. And remember to keep your distance from others, but stay very close to the Lord. God bless.